Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now, on today's show, we are going to be talking about working as a psychotherapist in India. And if you look up psychotherapy on Wikipedia, it refers to the use of various psychological methods to help a person change and overcome problems in desired ways. And so this includes improving an individual's well-being and mental health, and also at times in treating various mental disorders that an individual might have such as depression, dementia, schizophrenia, etc. Now, while our guest on today's show is a practicing psychotherapist in India, and so some of the insights that she'll be sharing are from the point of view of working in India, I would still say that most of the discussion is applicable to anyone who is interested in learning more about psychotherapy as a profession, what is it like to work as a psychotherapist, and find out ways in which you can explore the space further. So I would still recommend it to everyone, even if you're not based in India. So let me introduce our guest on today's show then. Her name is Arpata Bora, and she has more than four years of experience working in the space. Arpita, until very recently, was working as a creative arts therapist with Fortis Healthcare, which is one of the leading hospital chains in India. And very recently, she joined a private university to start working with students. In terms of her educational background, Arpita has a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature from Lady Sriram College for Women in Delhi University. And she also has a Master's in Counseling Psychology from Tata Institute of Social Sciences, or TIS, and it is one of the leading institutions for social sciences in India. So I hope you find today's discussion helpful. Arpita will be sharing a number of insights and details on really what is it like to work in this space. So without further ado, let's welcome Arpita to the show. Hey Arpita, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Hi Sonali, thank you for having me. Absolutely. In fact, I've actually received requests from students for an episode on psychology. So I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I had a quick question for you. I was curious about this. So I heard that the leading protagonist in a very popular soap in India committed suicide. And that sparked a huge debate in the mental health community in India. So I know it sounds a little bit silly, but are you aware of this? Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts on this? Yes, yes, definitely. I think every time there's a suicide, especially within the media committee, a lot of debates get sparked off. And I also feel it's always the same version of the same debate where somebody will say that, oh, they should have been stronger and uh, suicide is just for the weak. And the mental health community, often it's, it's tiresome and it's, it's, I think it's difficult to keep reiterating the fact that depression is an illness and people who commit suicide, they are really struggling with things that feel unsolvable at some level. And there's this one particular quote by this author called David Foster Wallace, which I think really describes the situation 
probably the, it's one of the most apt quotes I've read about people who try and kill themselves. And he talks about this metaphor and he says that, you know, it's literally like being trapped in this burning building and you're on the seventh floor and you can see the flames and you're so close to the flames and the passers-by beneath the building um, on the pavement, they, they don't get the flames, they don't see the flames. So, of course, they're going to be like, hang on in there and don't jump. But what drives people to kill themselves is not, it's not desiring the fall, it's the terror of the flames. And he says, you know, you'd have to be personally trapped and felt the flames to really understand a terror way beyond falling. And to me, I think that quote literally, it, it holds the essence of what happens when you know, things get so dark, when people feel like there's no way out. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I really do want to understand I, because, you know, based on what you've described, I mean, that's so intense, right? <laughs> you know, someone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. walks yeah. into your office, you're a psychologist and they are, contemplating taking their life Mm. and if that is something that you encounter even once like forget about many patients Mm -hmm. even once like that could be Mm -hmm. a very very stressful situation to be in so I definitely do want to talk more about that but uh, before we get into the details of this job itself I think it'll be helpful if you can you know share a little bit about your background and your journey and how you've eventually got into this field sure so um I think my journey into this field has been particularly, it's been quite different than most people, which I think is great for listeners who are, you know, coming from non-psych backgrounds, because I, my BA in Lady Shiram College was uh, English literature. So I think one thing is that I've always been very interested in working with people. And towards the end of my uh, three years at Lady Shiram College, In the third year itself, I began working with a friend and going to, you know, a local community nearby, a slum community, and working with the children. And I think that experience created a lot of discord within me because in the evenings I would be, you know, in this community where there were a lot of issues, economic issues and social issues, and children were coming for lessons with black eyes. And there was just, um, it was uncomfortable to see Basically, I had been educated to, you know, understand how problems happen and what goes on. And, but to really see it up close was, was a different experience. And then to come back and to talk about postmodernism and theories at the dining table, there was this huge discord that I constantly felt when I would make that walk back from that community to the corridors of my college. And that really pushed me to try and figure a way about integrating both of these worlds, you know, this world where there was so much knowledge and information and theory and this world that, you know, where it seemed like there was a huge need for solutions. So I joined the Gandhi Fellowship. I was uh, selected to work in Ahmedabad and I spent the next two years as a Gandhi Fellow working with headmasters in municipal schools. And I think it was those two years when I really began working with people. My job would involve going into a school and saying, okay, what do you think is not working in the school? What would you like to change in the school? And inevitably, it stopped being so much about the school as this is what I need to change in myself before I can make any changes in the school. So for an example, you know, I, I worked with this lady who had a lot of difficulty being assertive with her staff. 
So she ended up doing all of the work that they were supposed to do. And she was unable to tell them, you know, you need to do this work. She was basically unable to work on setting healthy boundaries for herself. And I really enjoyed working with her on this particular issue. And with a lot of my other headmasters, my work tended to be a little different because I would try and really understand you want to do this you say you want to do this but something's stopping you so like help me understand what's stopping you and these are questions that I even you know nowadays in my practice these are questions that you know I work through with clients and I think it was then that I realized that this is what I really like to do I like to be with people and I like to understand how they're feeling about their lives and what their conflicts are and what is difficult for them and what is it that they want to change and at that point of time, I, I, it was not, I was not thinking about training in psychotherapy because a lot of my mentors, they had you know, told me, oh, you're great with people, so look at HR, look at mentorship roles in organizations. And somehow that didn't cut it for me. So towards the end of my fellowship, I took a gap year to explore a lot of things, and I read many, many books on psychotherapy. One was The Road Less Traveled by Scott M. Peck. And I think when I read about his work, that was something I, I so desperately wanted to do it. Like I wanted to, you know, I wanted to feel what it would feel that way to work with clients. And I found it so fascinating. But I didn't have a psych background. I had studied psychology in my 11th, 12th, and I was very familiar with the world of psychology. But I wasn't formally trained or formally educated in psychology. So I started looking for places to apply that would be open to people who didn't have um, a background in psychology. And thankfully, one of those places, and that was the last year, this was open. The counseling psychology course was open to people who didn't have a psychology background. Mm-hmm. And even at the interview, I think there were a lot of questions posed about my willingness to engage with this field. But I, I, I sat down and I told my professors who were interviewing me all of the things that I had learned in my fellowship and my experiences working with people. And this is basically why I felt that learning more about counseling psychotherapy would help me develop these skills. And after this ended, I, actually in the first year, I took a two-day workshop by Shohini Chakravarti, who uh, runs Kolkata Shonved, which is an organization that uses dance and movement to work with survivors of sexual abuse and particularly survivors of sexual trafficking. So she had come to campus to take dance movement therapy workshop for two days. Um, I think I was the only person from my batch who went for the workshop. I was like, oh, this is dance and this is psychotherapy. And both of these things are things I'm really interested in. And I thought, you know, it's probably going to be like a bunch of feel good exercises, icebreakers, and like jump up and down and clap mm-hmm. your hands. And everyone feels happy. Mm-hmm. But I think the movement therapy workshop really, I think it what it really drove home for me was that we carry things around, not just in our minds, but also in our bodies. And there is, when we talk about Freud's layers of the unconscious and the preconscious and the conscious mind, there's this one quote by this Buddhist psychotherapist, uh, Dr. Rajiri, and he says, the body is the unconscious. And I think nowhere did I feel that so closely. So, the first uh, four months after my, actually the first five, six months after my uh, MA ended, I trained with around 20 other people in movement therapy. And I think having that experience after two years of 
reading about psychotherapy that was very mind-based and was a lot to do with cognition and understanding the structures of the mind. And then after those two years of my MA, just to be able to go back to this place where I was thinking about things in a very physical sense and not thinking so much about the mind, but where where the body would be holding a certain kind of emotion. I think it was a, a great way to just integrate all of these new kinds of ideas that I was beginning to have about how people, how memory forms and where it's carried and how do we deal with it and what are the ways to let it go. After I had finished my training, I worked at Fortis Healthcare for a year, a little over a year, and I was with the creative arts therapy team. And right now, just over the last few months, I have started working at a private university and I work with about four to five students every day who come in for counseling and for psychotherapy. And we've also begun to do movement workshops on the side. It's, it's quite yeah. a journey. And I would love to learn more about uh, movement therapy. And I've never seen something like that. But can mm-hmm. you can you describe how how does it work? So this is a question that I get a lot. And whenever I think me or any other movement therapists um, are asked this question, we, we are actually at a loss for words um, because it's, it's probably one of, it's a really simple and it's also a very difficult question to answer. So technically, if you look at the standard, I think American Institute of Dance Therapy uh, definition, they define movement therapy as the psychotherapeutic use of movement to resolve, you know, psychological issues. There's this great quote by Ken Robinson where he says that we act like our heads, our bodies just exist to carry our heads around. Hmm. And I think that describes accurately most of the, the kind of way that we live. We're very disconnected from physical experience. And physical experience in movement therapy is seen as a very relevant and a valid form of understanding the whole experience of your life and understanding your mind and understanding your conflicts, understanding where you're stuck. So it works at many different levels. So one of the first things that we do as movement therapists is basically just try and get people to live in their bodies more and to just feel what it feels like to, you know, really be in your body are your knees tight are your you know is your jaw clenched is your chest feeling really tight or stuck what are the sensations that are arising in your body and this is again a very parallel practice i've been reading a lot more about buddhist psychotherapy in the past uh, few weeks so they talk about bringing awareness to the self and some psychotherapists use body work to just bring awareness to what's happening. So we look at sensations and we look at what the body is going through to make connections with what the mind is also going through. And for some people, it is very difficult to put things into words. It is difficult to talk about things, but it is easier to move through things. And I do feel that there is a totality to you know, moving through something. For example, if I ask a client who is not very verbal but likes to dance, if I ask her to talk to me maybe about a breakup, it may not be as fleshed out or even as evocative as if I ask her, if I really get her to feel her body and to, you know, say, okay, 
where is this in your body where is the pain located and she would say maybe you know i feel tightness in my chest all the time and you know we would move with it i would say what do you want to do with this tightness how are you carrying this tightness how can you let this go and you know her posture may change over a couple of sessions and she might be able to use her body to express grief in a way that she would not be able to use words to express grief in and the thing is that now when i start saying things like these i'm aware like i keep thinking that um you know it sounds like it sounds a little weird and it sounds like you're you're like this hippie who's talking it sounds a little flaky but the thing is that until you really experience what it means to translate things through your body yeah. and to move through them not dance through them but to move through them you don't understand how just how deep and how there's just this level of anchoring and expression that may not be there otherwise for somebody who you know even if you're great with words and you you write a lot or it's you're comfortable expressing yourself through words bringing your body into that that kind of expression can be very very powerful and i think that doesn't happen a lot in the traditional psychotherapies that we've developed we look at a lot of things that go on in the body and we look at psychosomatic issues and we look at symptoms that are arising due to a psychological cause and all of these things but our ways to deal with them are not necessarily physical so we use a mental approach to deal with like a physical manifestation it sounds very very interesting so and and i'm just trying mm-hmm. to i think i do want to sort of picture this so like when the patient comes in are you when you say movement Mm-hmm. I are you um sort of moving I guess like dancing like what what happens Yes yes so so when a patient comes in actually most of my work has been with larger groups somehow a lot of most a lot of movement therapy is also done within groups because some activities involve mirroring and they involve being with other people and you know the first thing we would do is just to understand what is the relationship this person has with their body and their physicality and where are the areas of tension located what is it also that they're struggling with in life what are their most powerful physical memories and we would just we would work on integrating sensations and conflicts that the person is talking about okay No I I'm not thinking this is weird or anything don't worry yeah. it's just it's just a very different kind of concept but uh yeah. you know I should have asked this question right in the beginning but given that this is an episode on psychotherapy I think it would be remiss if we don't talk about what is psychotherapy so can you just, yes uh, yes you know, say a I few lines on that, that um, yeah I'll define the different kinds of psychotherapies that do exist the freudian model looks at resolving a lot of unconscious conflicts and looks at early childhood experiences and looks at the connections between your early childhood and your current experiences and also looks a lot at the relationship between the client and the therapist so this one therapist who is this existential psychotherapist called Irving Yalom and I really love his writing he speaks about how therapy should not be content driven but relationship driven which is essentially when when clients come to work with me i look at a lot of the content but my focus is always on creating the kind of relationship that they can feel very comfortable in and so comfortable that they can talk about whatever it is that they really want to talk about and 
know that there is literally, you know, you know, there's nothing that's off limits. You can talk about anything. Like this is a place for you to really understand yourself. And the cognitive behavioral therapy spectrum, they would look a lot at methods that come from theories that they have built through research and through working with clients. So that would be like a very focused and literally like a bullet point kind of psychotherapy. I think the cognitive behavioral therapist will kill me for saying this. I think I could probably give an example. So um, even if you go to a cognitive behavioral therapist for your problems of anxiety, you know, they would be likely to try and understand when does it happen, when does it not happen. You keep an anxiety diary. We work on the thoughts that create the anxiety and try and understand what are the core beliefs that support these thoughts and whether these core beliefs are valid or not. Even in analytic psychotherapy, to some extent, I think we'll follow the same process. But here the patient is allowed to lead and bring up whatever material that they would want to bring up. So the the, the level of directiveness of the therapist is what varies a lot across different kinds of therapy. Some therapists are completely non-directive in the sense that it's it's literally you go and you lie on the couch and you talk about whatever comes to your mind and your therapist will make the interpretations or the connections that they feel are relevant for you and some therapists are much more I would say hands-on and much 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 more involved and they would give you homework and they would you know kind of give you goals to work on every week you would feel um, a little accountable almost to them for the goals that you have and it would be very clear that you know this is like a 10 week or a 20 week kind of therapeutic relationship so in that period of time we are going to accomplish this so I think I'm somewhere between these spectrums because I feel that a lot of times when people do come to therapy it comes they come with problems that they have not been able to resolve. This is a commonly held belief among psychotherapists that when you come, you come with a problem that it's been very difficult for you to resolve. Mm. And you have tried a lot of things to resolve that problem. So the question that I would always grapple with in the first few sessions and, you know, understand more as I work with the client is that how hands-on do they need me to be when it comes to figuring this problem out? Because I think you can you can create the kind of relationship with the client where you give them homework. And in fact, some of my clients do ask me for homework. But usually I tend to not do that because I feel like my client is perfectly capable of deciding what homework they want to do. If they feel like they want to take up something or they want to do something I might talk to them about how they feel about it or what holds them back but I would never put myself in a position where I would say you do this because I think that just that there's this balance of power that gets disrupted and you know to me that's that unless I was really dealing with a client who needed exactly that kind of intervention I would want my clients to have a lot of freedom so eventually on their terms they come to choose whatever they want to choose for themselves and it's it's a slow process. So yeah, I think it'll be helpful if you can take like a simple example of mm-hmm. let's say a patient walks into your office and mm-hmm. the kind of things that you would do to help the patient and how would you figure out what is the problem that the patient is dealing with? Hmm. I think one of the first things that I would do is use the first session to just listen to the patient 
and really try and understand what is it that they're coming with and what is it that seems unresolvable or unbearable or very, very difficult for them. Sometimes that may not even get conveyed very clearly in the first session or it could be hidden behind something else. So I, I just spend a lot of time listening. And then in the second half of the session or towards the, you know, probably the last third, I would offer them reflection on what I think is going on with them and maybe point out a couple of things that we would look at if we were to continue therapy. So for example, if I have a patient who comes to me with anxiety and she's having this difficulty breathing and I find out that two months ago she lost a very, very close friend, I would end up making a connection some and I see that you know she's really crying when she talks about him and we have a conversation about I would try and understand what is her experience of her grief. So sometimes clients will tell me, yeah, but I'm doing everything right. I'm, I'm like, you know, going to the gym and I'm doing this and I'm going for class and I'm hanging out with my friends, but still I feel terrible at night or I don't feel good. And then it's my job to help understand, you know, help them understand what is it that they are trying to avoid through all of this busyness. So, for example, with this particular client who's going through something like grief, I would make a connection between how it, um, there is something about accepting the death of this particular friend that is very, very painful to her. And she feels like she needs to just get a lot of, she needs to get some distance from it or she needs to have, to not have too much time where she can reflect on that because there's something, it's extremely painful to do that. There's an analogy that I use a lot about working with emotions and feeling things that we have numbed ourselves to, which say it's like you're sitting and a part of your leg is numb and you know you get numb after sitting cross-legged or in a particular position. And when you stand up, you have pins and needles. And you know, when that blood flows back into that limb, it, it's excruciating and it's you just want to shake your leg and you want it to stop. And but that's how you regain movement. I mean, that's how the numbness goes away. It goes away when you start feeling again. But the process of starting to feel all of these things, again, can be very uncomfortable and there can be ups and downs. So that's that's just the emotional context or that's the way I would work. But apart from that, I also look at my cases in a clinical way. So I would look at what the family history of the client is, what are the previous episodes of anxiety or depression or um, whatever it is that they're coming with, when has it happened before, what have they tried to do to make it um, better for themselves before, what are the solutions that have worked, um, and then again, what would I call it, would I say it's depression, is it anxiety, is it leaning towards a psychotic episode, is it to do with post-traumatic stress, these are all like just in terms of clinically understanding what is going on. Yeah. These are all things that would go through my mind. Yeah, I yeah. I have a question for you and it and it might sound a little blunt, but I'm asking sure. this because it's important to clarify this. Sure. So, you know, someone who's listening to this might come mm-hmm. back to you and say, Okay, she lost let let's take the example of the mm-hmm. lady who lost a baby two months before and then obviously mm-hmm. she was grieving from this experience. And then someone might come back to you and say, you know, you don't really need someone to tell you that you're grieving from that experience, right? I mean, you know that. So I I want to understand that what is it that the job of the psychotherapist is in in this situation? Is Is it identifying why you're grieving or is it just having someone to talk to? 
No, I think so. What happens is that, you know, if that person, if we follow, we just look at grieving. One of the first things that happens in one of the models that talks about grieving is denial. And I wouldn't say it's for grieving. I feel that the way many people survive is that when you go through something difficult, a lot of times we push on and tell ourselves it's, it's really not such a big deal. I'm fine. I'm over it. But you may not be over it and it may still be manifesting itself in this feeling of breathlessness that you're having in your chest. The second thing which I feel that a lot of clients do and particularly I think this has been sparked by this whole the flood of self-help books and motivational speakers is that they really try and push themselves very hard into a positive state. You know, like, you know, I should be feeling better by now and I should be this extremely positive, upbeat person who never procrastinates and is always on time with goals and, you know, I should be achieving 100% of my, 110% of my full capacity all the time. And, you know, while those are not bad goals, but if, I think what we really have to look at is This is also the story of somebody who has lost somebody else who was very precious to her and she is in pain and it is difficult for her to get up in the mornings and she's still pushing through and it is difficult for her to sleep at night and there is a lot of emotion that surrounds this event that happened which she is not allowing herself to feel. So because there is this expectation, um, there is literally like I feel that a lot of times clients and people they do not give themselves permission to grieve and to just be a mess and even if it is being a mess it's like I'm only going to be a mess for a week and then I'm going to be okay and that's great that can be healthy and that can be necessary but at the same time I think the psychotherapist's job is to make sure that there shouldn't be unresolved stuff that is lingering inside which is affecting functionality and which is affecting the body and which is affecting the mind at some level it is really to look at what is it that is still unsolved so uh, um, so you're stuck yeah no no i think yeah. that that helps a lot because mm-hmm. i think what you're saying is that going to a therapist i mean a therapist mm-hmm. has to create an environment mm-hmm. which makes the patient feel that it's okay to feel the emotions that i'm feeling and it's okay to express yes. the emotions that i'm yes. feeling right yes because uh, I mean, particularly if we just even talk about grieving, the amount of times people get told, you know, oh, don't cry or be strong for your mother or be strong for your children or just be strong. There is nobody who tells them, you know, it's okay to not be strong. It's okay to be weak. Please, like, just you're human. You're allowed to cry. You're allowed to grieve. It's it's okay to have these emotions. Everybody is obsessed with telling other people, you know, telling people that yeah. you you must be this way. And the psychotherapist is somebody who really creates that space and says, be whatever you want to be. Let's understand what's going on and let's not judge yeah. it. And let's just let's just feel it and let's understand it and let's make sense of it, yeah. you know, between ourselves. No, absolutely. No, I think that that mm. really helps clarify. And I, mm. I had another question around what you mentioned which is that apart from just sort of helping your patients emotionally you also mm-hmm. look at every case from a clinical perspective to understand mm-hmm. what is the issue underlying issue over here so yeah. i'm not sure if you have any examples around this but has mm-hmm. it happened that through your analysis of the patient's mm-hmm. history and their family background you discovered mm-hmm. something which was quite unexpected um yeah, there have been there have been a lot of instances 
like that. I'll talk to you about one of the first cases that I worked with, and this this was also something that I wrote a paper about in my first year of my MA. We were at a very busy uh, government hospital in Bombay, and there was a there was a child who was about thirteen years old, and she presented with functional aphonia, which is the loss of her voice. And she was not able to speak, but she was able to cough and she was able to whisper. And the doctors and the residents could not understand why she had lost her voice. She was in this room full, you know, there were three other patients sitting in the back. Her brother was next to her. This resident was asking her, so what's happened? Any traumas, any this, any that? And she would just, she would just nod. Uh, she would actually just shake her head and say, no, nothing, 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 nothing. And we were all stumped because we didn't know what was causing the psychosomatic symptom. And psychosomatic symptoms usually arise when there's been a state of trauma where the feeling of anxiety uh, is so great that it gets converted into a symptom within the body. So it was, it was very difficult for the doctors to deal with her. And also I saw her own discomfort at being in this this big, busy hospital surrounded by people who were asking her a lot of questions, having lost her voice, not being able to talk. So I, I took permission from the doctor and I said, you know, can we just sit and talk? I'll sit and talk to her for 20 minutes and just try and understand. I think she's a little nervous being around everybody here. And I, I just had this sense that there's, there's something like I, I need to make an honest effort to understand what's been going on. And so I sat with her and I explained to her what her diagnosis was. And I explained to her that psychosomatic symptoms often arise when you've been through something very difficult and you're not able to talk about it or express it and your body holds on to it in some way. And until we begin to talk about it and express it and understand it, the body doesn't let it go. So so I asked her, you know, is, is there something that you feel like you, you want to tell me? And when she nodded, I, I, I think I just had this sinking sensation. I knew what was going to come next. And it was, it was a case where she had been raped by somebody six months ago, which was exactly when she had begun to lose her voice. And so then I did a kind of did a PTSD assessment and she had nightmares. She was constantly, she would have flashbacks and she was losing her voice and loss of interest, loss of appetite, depressed mood. So she had all the clinical markers of post-traumatic stress disorder as well. But it was only when I understood what had happened that I kind of put that together. So then we spoke to her about transferring her to a female psychiatrist and I was in the room when she met the female psychiatrist and we talked about what had happened and then medication was started and I think things improved for her um I think that that would be I think one case where yeah no I'm just uh you know this is what I was saying in the beginning uh, Mm -hmm. when you talked about how you have had patients who would come to you who have contemplated killing themselves and then mm-hmm. this case i mean that's a 13 year old girl mm-hmm. right um these are extremely distressing stories yes. to hear right and it, it's not even sort of one time thing you have to that person is completely helpless and they're pretty much putting themselves in your hands um mm-hmm. to sort of save them pretty much it's not even an exaggeration mm-hmm. so 
how how do you cope with that um this is a question that i've asked many psychotherapists as i was um i was training it's a question that i still ask psychotherapists and they've always told me the same thing which is something i'm going to repeat is that i think you learn at some level i wouldn't say that we are desensitized but you know you just simply learn and it does affect you it affects you in the strangest of ways so a lot of uh, when we look at the work the anal- you know in the analytic sense therapists would also believe that they actually pick up some amount of emotional emotions the client has often the therapist begins to carry them within themselves so you might exit a session feeling extremely down in the dumps mm-hmm. um even though there has been nothing earth-shatteringly sad that's been said in the session and it's not been an intense session and sometimes you know we actually we use a lot of our feelings to understand what our clients are going through and this is something i tell my clients as well so part of it is kind of understanding separating that separation that this is the client's feeling they're just really 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 feeling helpless and somewhere i feel it within myself too because this is a situation where we're sitting across from each other and talking and there's just this almost this invisible sense of connection or transmission that happens the other really useful piece of advice that someone very senior has given me is that when you walk back through the door of your you know your practice and your clinic you need to feel ready for the day ahead and you need to do whatever is necessary to feel ready so whether it's going to a kickboxing class after work or spending time with your friends or whatever their self care is a very very important part of being a therapist mm-hmm. and particularly not just self care having your own personal therapy and a supervisor is very very important and this is mandated in the united states and the uk and in most of places across the world where psychotherapy has been a practice for like a long time but it's still something that many people don't take very seriously in india there are some people who do and there are many practitioners who don't but i think it is it is very 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 important for therapists to have therapy and clinical supervision especially in the beginning years and i, w- I would say continuing you know to until the time you are a therapist you need people on board who understand you and who understand how you're looking at your work and who can help you look at your work in different ways also i would say like in terms of dealing with it another thing that happens when clients do come and talk to me is that i feel that my role is about it's about making sense and it's about understanding what's going on for them so somewhere i wouldn't say that i switch off but as you work i think you just get better at understanding that this is what they're coming with and this is what it might be related to and you take a lot of time looking at what it is and making connections in a way that maybe you know someone who's not trained in psychotherapy would not make so even the way of looking at things and relating to things is different in that sense so yeah actually i want to touch up on this a little bit yeah. uh, which is that from what you've described as a psychotherapist you mm-hmm. are pretty much dependent on the patient telling you things right so ultimately the source of information is the patient right so 
have you found any techniques or things that you do which help you in getting to the the truth in terms of getting to the truth i think that is the place where my clients do want to take me and i am curious about the pace and i'm curious about what is important for them and i i talk to my clients a lot i, I ask a lot of questions sometimes basically sitting across from them and i will say okay so so you know you're saying this happened to you and i notice a lot of times you tell me what happened but you don't necessarily tell me you know what you felt on the inside or what you your basic what your feelings are about this so help me understand help me understand what your feelings are and at some point i might also say help me understand why why it is difficult for you to talk about your feelings when you're talking about a situation i notice you leave them out a lot so i look at a lot of the patterns that come up in communication mm-hmm. and those are my cues and those are my clues and i i share them openly with the client and i would say but do you notice that you do this a lot and where do you think this is coming from again i would say all of these questions lead to just creating the kind of relationship where they feel comfortable enough to talk and so then that that is really my focus my focus is not necessarily to get to the truth as fast as possible my focus is usually on building a relationship where they feel so comfortable that gradually they reveal what it is that they really want to talk about and deal with i see i see now that that's mm. very helpful um so yeah i think arpita this gives us a very um good insight into what working as a psychotherapist is like i'd like to understand a little bit of sort of the day to day aspects of working mm-hmm. in this space so mm-hmm. can you describe that you know on a day to day basis what kind of problems would you be working on um different uh different problems so right now i primarily work with uh, people in their late teens and early 20s and on a usual day it can be somebody who is coming in a lot of anxiety about the future and their career and my next client could be somebody who has been through something very traumatic in the past and is dealing with the the anger or dealing with the sadness that accompanies another client could be grieving over the loss of a friend another client could just be coming because they feel that there's something wrong but they don't know what it is and a lot of clients you know we have these discussions a lot about medication do i need medication do i not need medication so it's also i think a huge part of my work to understand how are they and how what the level of functionality is and if they're slipping and if i feel that they're really 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 struggling and there's going to be they might want to harm themselves then that is something that you know we would talk about so part of it is i would say is psychoeducation because if you if you are depressed it is going to feel a little more difficult for you or much more difficult for you to get up in the morning and to gain momentum throughout your day or there are going to be moments where you lock yourself in the bathroom and cry and that will be normal because you are going through depression and just understanding how do you want to deal with it and yeah. this is actually very yeah. helpful and i think more than more than the individual issues itself i think what stands out for me is that as a psychotherapist you will be seeing multiple patients in a day mm. and so yeah. uh, not only do you have to be good at 
working with each and every one of these patients but you also have to be able to switch contexts from one mm. patient to another mm. and and fairly often uh, mm. and so it's like one intense situation to another intense situation so yes uh yeah it just sounds like a very very emotionally stressful job to me so i mean yeah i, I think this is sort of a good segue into then just mm-hmm. asking you what do you enjoy the most about working as a psychotherapist i enjoy listening i i i just i really enjoy that moment when i'm sitting across the room somebody who is having a conversation about their life and i think there was an article that i was i was reading the other day it was an open letter to clients from a therapist and there were some parts of it that i resonated with very strongly about how it you know at some level like people say it's it, it's emotionally stressful and of course it is and it is we have days where things feel very difficult and to me even though i think work ends at work at some level i still think about my clients and i try and I, there are moments when i will just you know be just be trying to understand what's going on and so i it feels like you know i carry a lot of my work around with me in my head constantly trying to make sense of things but so i was saying in this letter i think the therapist was saying that uh, it's a privilege to sit across from a client and he was saying that the house therapists are so lucky because we are that one person in this person's life that they want to have the most vulnerable conversations with and they want to be the most honest with and how other people go for days talking about how there is an absence of genuine contact and communication in today's society and how it is so difficult to have an authentic encounter and to really have a very real deep conversation with another human being about what's going on but we get to do it many 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 times a day there's just something when i'm sitting across the room from somebody and we are beginning to talk about their life and i'm beginning to understand their story and we are both making connections about the past and the present and I'm really understanding how they feel in the room with me and what is uncomfortable to them and all of these things I think it's very meaningful for me and hopefully for both of us no i mean i can completely see how the just the impact that you're having on someone else's life can be a very rewarding experience so i can definitely see that and as a psychotherapist do you generally have fixed working hours or are they very variable no i tend to have very fixed working hours okay. and i work at a college so sometimes if there are uh, i mean if there are holidays in between and the college is shut then i would probably adjust my days and make sure everybody can have at least one weekly session right but uh, otherwise sessions usually would happen at the same time yeah i was wondering if it has ever happened that a patient calls you at an order because they're going through something or they want to ask you something um well it hasn't happened and i think it's a good time also to talk a little bit about boundaries which i think i have a therapeutic contract that talks about the therapeutic relationship and talks about just my timings and the timings of the sessions and also the kind of relationship that we will have that you know appointments would be coordinated over email and if there is something that you really need to talk to me about we can talk about it in the session and how i i do not accept gifts from any of my clients and so i haven't ever been in the position i think very rarely where i have had to deal with an emergency 
of that sort. But I know other therapists, um, other friends who have been through situations like that. And it is a crisis for the client. But eventually, I think the goal of effective therapy is also helping clients manage that crisis to a large extent, feel comfortable managing it on their own. Are, are there any risks associated with this role? I'm actually like grinning right now because <laughs> one of the jokes that we have in class and probably therapists have across the world is I think there are studies that say that therapists are much more emotionally vulnerable in the sense that you are likely to develop depression or anxiety at some point of time. But then that is that is a risk that nearly everybody with, whether or not they have a family history nowadays, they tend to face. But that's always, uh, I think that's just a long-standing joke. The other thing I was going to touch on is that a lot of people have these very popular notions of what it means to be a counselor or a psychotherapist and they think that you're in a great position where you might be at physical risk and you might like be harmed or injured or stalked and um, there have been very 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 rare cases of that that I've heard of happening to anybody yeah so, actually that is exactly why that, that was actually yeah. the intent behind the question but no no yeah. I wasn't thinking of you know someone harming you but it's just like, you know, from the nature of the job, the, the mm-hmm. fact is that people are coming to you and sharing some of the mm-hmm. innermost, you know, secrets almost, you might call it, right? At least in a lot of situations. And yeah. th- those those things might not always be, you know, very comfortable things, right? And, yeah. and now you're privy to that information. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, not to sound like, I guess I've been watching a lot of movies, but... Right. <laughs> you're like right yes you have been but uh yeah like has that ever sort of either happened with you like has it ever happened with you that someone has shared something with you which was yeah i mean i i think i don't think i should be knowing this but now you do um that was difficult or that was illegal yeah something like um, yeah well i mean i i haven't i i haven't come across a situation like that but i know that for many therapists that this would pose a conflict and actually I haven't heard of many situations like this ever I mean it's it's I think it's actually the first time or maybe the second time that I'm talking about so the standing rule would be that if if I feel that my client is going to harm themselves or is going to harm someone else then I would try and take action to protect whoever is going to be harmed in whatever way. And that is something that is also clearly stated in my contract, that confidentiality will be maintained at all times, except in the instance where I feel that you might harm yourself or you might harm someone else. And that is when I would break confidentiality to protect, to act in the best interests of my client. So, but that's the thing, like, you know, this job does have certain characteristics right and you have to at least be prepared for it even if the chances of something like that happening is very low it it's not zero so and i I think we touched upon a couple of challenges like just the emotional stress associated with this job Mm -hmm. but is there anything Mm -hmm. else that you find particularly challenging in india it is challenging to be a mental health professional i would say that i'm i'm currently quite lucky because i feel like I'm really getting to do what I want to do in the ter- in the sense that I get to offer free therapy to clients who need it. 
and I'm funded to do that by the university. So finance is not an issue that figures for clients when they decide whether or not they have to see me, which I think is great and it's it's needed. But I feel that as of now, opportunities like these are are not that widely publicized. I don't know how widely available they are, but with the growing level of mental health awareness in the country, I, I do feel positive, fairly positive about the fact that there will be opportunities like this that open up for more professionals. So I would say that the challenges of it are more in terms of the technicalities and the landscape of the mental health scene in India. I yeah. think you bring up a good point, which is that is there something like a typical career path? Um, so I would see it in three ways. As of now, I would say that there are some people who want to work more with the masses in the sense that they would want to work on larger programs that are designed for more, you know, grassroots social interventions. Some of my batchmates would be involved in working with like an organization that would be providing livelihood to people who have mental health disorders and particularly schizophrenia, making sure that there is like a solid rehabilitation program for somebody who is just getting into remission and wanting to rebuild their lives and not being able to find employers who would give them jobs. And there would be people who want to create awareness about, say, probably child sexual abuse. And they would be going to schools and having a lot of programs with parents and just creating awareness about this issue. And there are people who would be probably just interacting with the society at large through the platform of an organization. Then there would be people who choose the clinical, the hospital track, where they would be working close to psychiatrists and doctors within a hospital and dealing with the mental health needs of patients who come into the psychiatric department or maybe even you know other departments in the hospital so I have friends who are psychologists and they work very closely with the cardiology department they work very closely with people who have cancer and they look at how the medical experience and the breakdown of the body affects the psyche and how they can help patients feel just more equipped to move through that period in their lives and then I would have some of my batchmates are into research working to create more online visibility, working to write papers about issues. So one of my friends is writing a paper on the effects of parentification on Indian adolescents. And it's literally what, what this paper is about. That So in India, as a child, if you've had the experience of parenting your own parents and needing to be the parent in the house, how does that affect your psyche and your personality mm-hmm. and yourself Interesting. 20 years later? Interesting. So she's looking at the experiences of young adults yeah. and teenagers who have felt parentified in their own homes and trying to understand what are the repercussions of being that way. So just to sum it up, there would be your social NGO track, there would be the clinical medical track, which is also allied with the scene clients everyday private practice and then there would be research and creating visibility through your writing and all of that no this is extremely extremely helpful and i think i think uh, you have on your own highlighted also like a very important aspect of practicing psychology which is the the region where you work as a psychotherapist mm, has mm, a huge mm. impact on your work yeah. right uh, i mean it has an impact on every profession but over here like for example in india just the acceptance of this of mental 
issues is a lot lower compared to other yeah. countries like in the US for example it's it's very very normal and people openly yes. sh- share the fact that they are seeing a therapist mm-hmm. and seeing a therapist in India i think is almost like saying that you know you've lost it and uh, yeah. you've given up on life and it's not seen in a very good light so which brings yeah. with it its own set of issues right and i think the media has a large role to play in this but I just had uh, a couple of questions to help people who might be interested in exploring mm-hmm, psychotherapy mm-hmm. as a career option. So, yeah. um if you were to think about sort of an ideal psychotherapist, what qualities do you think that person will have? So, um I'm going to steal Dr. Allen's answer. Mm-hmm. He is a very senior psychotherapist from Los Angeles and I did a set of interviews with him and I asked him a lot of these questions that you're also asking me and the first I think the first thing that he says is that you need to have a capacity to feel and which a lot of people usually tend to do if they're getting into this job and just so to me apart from the fact that you need to you need to feel deeply Dr. Allen says that you know it helps that if you read a lot or if you have he actually says that you know, don't go to your psychology textbooks right now and don't look at the dsm and don't look at the diagnostic criteria just read as much literature as you can and read stories and read just familiarize yourself with different characters and i think have the capacity to work with people in the sense you know to be able to understand that this person sees life in a different way then you possibly do and to be able to understand how they see life and then work with them how do they even experience their emotions and why is it so difficult for one person to experience anger and why is it that one person will shut out grief so really like you you have to somehow be able to just be i think porous enough and sensitive enough to try and have a subjective understanding of your client and be able to gather all the evidence that comes into therapy from the way they talk they say it how they yeah. address you what they don't like to talk about what they like to talk about a lot just there are so many things that that help you form an understanding of what this person is and you learn to put that jigsaw together in your head over time that's my experience of it the other few qualities Uh, I would again say that, that an ideal psychotherapist is not somebody who gives way too much advice. That's not the kind of relationship that they build with the client, where they're giving you advice and you're coming back for advice, and they're giving you advice and you're coming back. But they really help you understand your own decision-making capacities, and they help you figure out what kind of advice you want to give yourself, what kind of life you want to have. And again, definitely somebody who is growth-oriented for themselves and you know trying to learn more about the field and is open to learning from other people learning from other practitioners and has a very good contact with reality because i feel that there are lots of theories about psychology and analyzing people that at the end you need to just you need to evolve your own framework and you need to have a very clear sense of what works for you what works for your client what may work for a particular client but will not work for another client i think basically yeah. you're, what you're referring to is that pattern recognition ability right and yeah. that that's probably yeah. something that you develop on the job as you meet yeah, more and more people i would just like to reiterate that nobody starts out like that and these are things that you really slowly pick up 
yeah yeah so let's say someone does listen to your interview and mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. say i think this is something that sounds interesting to me but i'm right. not sure i'm not really sure if this is something that i really want to do or mm-hmm. want to pursue as a career so is there a way for someone to assess how much they will enjoy something like this um yes there is i would say that try and understand your motivation for doing this work so i would say you know try and create these experiences where you are working with people in a personal capacity it may not need to start from a psychotherapeutic setting although if it did it would be great so even something like volunteering at a rape crisis center volunteering at an old age home volunteering and there's so many ngos that work with people that work with children go and volunteer and have the experience of talking to people and uh, trying to understand them and if possible just try and notice yourself in these conversations that you would have or try and notice what what is it that you feel good about even when you're talking to your friends and i don't know i mean a lot of people say that my friends come and talk to me about stuff so i think that's one thing but it's also okay if none of your friends talk to you about stuff and you still want to go ahead and pursue a profession like this i would say have try and create multiple experiences of interaction with different populations different people the other thing i would say is read a lot of read a lot of novels and also read a lot of like try and read stuff on psychotherapy so a couple of books that i would recommend would be read the road less traveled by irving elam uh, no not irving elam read um scott peck and by irving elam read the gifts of therapy i think volunteering is a great idea because that's pretty that's sort of a very first hand uh way mm. of uh, experiencing what it's like to be a therapist and figuring out if that is something that you would enjoy working on for an extended period right. of time yeah right but again a note of caution i would say that when you volunteer do not try very hard to be a therapist mm. it is very important to train and have a sense of how you're going to work with someone so just listen just observe and don't try very hard to like to be a therapist in that kind of a situation and i know this is this can be contradictory advice because you might be in a rape crisis center and you might be volunteering and somebody is breaking down so there's one book that i would also that is really recommend which is it's kind of like a comic strip book it has a lot of illustrations but it is the one of the most phenomenal books on communication and empathy that i think has ever been written and it's called how to talk so kids listen and listen so kids talk so i would recommend that everybody who wants to volunteer in a slightly therapeutic or even like you know capacity where they're going to be doing a lot of listening please read that book and understand i think they describe the process of effective listening and communicating with empathy really well without needing to give solutions but still being able to communicate with empathy yeah and actually you bring up a very good point which is i didn't think about this but i'm sure that you can become an expert in working with children or working with mm. women of a certain i i don't know so like are there specializations like that yes there is there is marital therapy or couples therapy as it's also more political that's a more politically correct <laughs> term there is you work with children using a variety of different methods the form of therapy that i have trained in after my ma is more to do with the expressive arts which involves bringing an artistic creative body work based uh, approach to the existing framework of psychotherapy that you use there are people who specialize in trauma 
so america actually has these teams so when there's like an event that happens like if there's a shooting at a school um they'll actually send a team of trauma counselors onto the premises right and i remember asking someone what what is it that they do i mean how there's been a shooting and i how would a trauma counselor go and deal with it because to me that's literally it's like being a paramedic okay. it's the paramedic version of a psychotherapist so i was very curious about what they do and and the answer that i got was just that you know, they just go in and they talk to people and they listen to them and yeah how, how would you help someone i'm guessing you have to specialize when you're doing your ma right when you're yes. when you're studying and yes. in school so how would you figure out what to focus on i would say try and have an experience of all of these fields and again i also feel that they're all very very interconnected so some psychotherapists believe that it's very important to have a solid understanding of trauma because that's basically the core of most of the issues that people would come with that it is based it is trauma based to a huge extent although there is also this debate about whether some people are definitely much more comfortable doing couples work and i know people who are very very uncomfortable being a couples therapist i know some people who are very comfortable working with children and some people who absolutely cannot you know imagine doing that so you usually tend to have a clear or a clear ish sense of your capacities with time and with the work that you do and look at your interest areas look at when you work with people how do you think about their lives how do you think about it in terms of formulating a case and more than like these issues that people focus on you will get a, issues across the board so if you have a private practice you will be dealing with many things from couples work to children to adolescents to people who have been through a trauma in the past to grief so issues are going to be varied it is the framework of looking at these issues that takes time to understand so understanding who you are as a therapist is to me it's also to a huge extent understanding who you are as a person different people will have different approaches so some people are more comfortable being more solution oriented looking much more at thoughts and working on controlling or modifying those thoughts using like a more cognitive behavioral perspective to work with clients and uh, some people are much more able to use a psychoanalytic framework some people are more comfortable with narrative framework so i would say you know go online even i think there are now there are a lot of videos that show like a cbt session with the client a narrative therapy session with the client a psychoanalytic session with the client uh, they're not like absolutely great representations of therapy mm-hmm. but it's it's interesting to look at all of these modes and see which what kind of language do you find yourself speaking better no that that, and, that is very very helpful yeah. and actually when you brought up the videos on youtube that are there any uh, resources that you think would be very helpful for people to learn more about this job this space so so you mentioned a couple of books which i'm sure are very helpful yes apart from the books does anything else come to mind yes apart from the books there is actually a website that i just found very recently there's actually i think a collection of over 160 interviews that have been done with psychotherapists that are published online by another psychotherapist so these are also podcasts oh interesting and, okay. uh, yes but they're looking at specific therapy so 
and they look at very alternative uh, versions. So one week they would have a Jungian feminine psychotherapist talking about her work with clients. One week they would have somebody who's just you know, talking a lot about working through trauma. So there is actually a, like a collection of interviews that are there. It's called shrinkrapradio.com. Yeah, I'll check um, it out because it sounds very, very relevant for anyone who might be interested yes. in exploring psychotherapy. Yeah. yeah. And I, I did want to ask you just one more thing, which is that, is there something like a typical background for this role? I know you mentioned that you didn't have, like you had an English literature background, but mm. this at that time was open to non-psychology yes, yes, yes. Uh, students. Yes, so the usual profile that I do see is students who have been through three years of a BA in psychology or something to do with child development and then a master's program in counseling or clinical psychology and then afterwards people tend to apply, can apply for an MPhil. Also then you can go on to do a PhD. That's, I mean, if you look at it academically, that is technically the career path that's there. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Mm. Okay. Mm. This was a very, very helpful interview. I know we've, you know, we've been recording for a while now, uh, but right. this was very, very helpful. I think you shared a lot of useful information. So thanks a lot. Well, thank you, Sonali, for having me. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Okay. And thanks again. Thanks, Sonali. Yeah. Bye. Bye. So that was Arpita and I think that was a very, very helpful discussion to really understand what is it like to work as a psychotherapist. It sounds like the kind of job which allows you to have a positive impact on a number of people, but at the same time, it also probably requires someone who is able to handle the emotional ups and downs that would come along with a job like this. So anyway, if you have any questions at all for Arpita or for me, you can email us at learneducatediscover at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, we've interviewed a number of other people from different professions such as product management, investment banking, management consulting, and many others. You can find all of them on our website. Our website is at www.learneducatediscover.com. And there you can also subscribe to get updates so that you can start getting updates on the great content that we are putting together for you guys right there in your email inbox. You can also find us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is at facebook.com forward slash learn, educate, discover. And you can also tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is at LED underscore curator. Of course, you can also subscribe to the podcast. We are available on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher. You can simply search for Learn, Educate, Discover and then you can find us and then you can hit subscribe. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and until the next one, adios. <laughs>